Hello and welcome to Servant's Heart Chapel. I am Pastor Daryl, and I hope today's episode is a special blessing to you. To talk about today. <clears throat> so Romans, <clears throat> Romans, uh, Paul first starts out uh, building his case against humanity, you know, fully proving that uh, we are a complete loss when it comes to God. We have no ground to stand on to prove our innocence before him, and, and, and we have nothing. And then God, I, I, Paul talks about how God, through Jesus Christ, made a way for us to be made righteous before him, being justified, being found innocent. And so then in chapter 4 here, he uses Abraham as an example, and, and our example, everyone's example, of what it means to be saved by faith. Romans 4 occupies a very important place uh, in the letter of Romans for at least two reasons. First, Paul clarifies the meaning of justification by faith. Secondly, Paul wants Jewish Christian, Christians to grasp that his gospel of justification by faith isn't new. This isn't some new thing that it just so recently arrived. But in fact, it's, it's in perfect continuity with Old Testament scripture. Justification by faith has always been there. Uh, but they had... I had I lost their way and began believing in a salvation by works. If I just do the right things or do enough good, then God will save me, which is unbiblical, <clears throat> incorrect. <clears throat> so he starts off with verse 1. What can we say that Abraham, our physical ancestor, has found? So it gets right into with Abraham, our, our, uh, Abraham, who who's, I mentioned already mentioned is our model model for saving faith, and uh, and ancestors and he's an ancestor of the Jewish people. He's speaking to Jewish Christians right now. If Abraham in verse two, if Abraham was justified by works, he's found innocent by works, by what he did, he has something to brag about, but not before God. <clears throat> if, if Abraham did all this great stuff, and, 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 he, and God found him innocent by all this great stuff that Abraham did, then he would have something to brag about, but he doesn't. Uh, see, why does Paul mention even mention Abraham here? Why does he bring him up? Well, because among the Jews, including the Jewish Christians, these new new Jewish Christians that uh, that uh, Paul is dealing with, Abraham was uh, considered to be the prime example and model of a man who was justified by his works, and this false understanding was uh, supported by the commentaries uh, of the day. The, the the Jewish commentaries of the day. In fact, for example, in one commentary called Mishnah's Third Division uh, Kiddushin, 
makes an interpretation of Genesis 26.5, in which God repeats his covenant promise to Abraham's son. And he declares, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and I will give your descendants to all these lands, and by your descendants and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And so this commentary, commentator Mishnah uh, wrongly conclu concludes and he wrote, we find that Abraham, our father, had performed the whole law before it was given. But that's not what it said. It didn't say Abraham did this his whole life. But that's what they attributed to it. And, and, and before you feel proud of how we know better than that, let me give you some data from the Barna Group. The Barna Group does research, statistical research, on Christianity uh, in America and I think abroad as well, uh, what we believe as Christians, number of people who go to church, that kind of stuff, that kind of metrics. And, and they, they, they found this. They, they uh, asked a bunch of people, surveyed a bunch of people, and they found 46% uh, uh, these are these are church goers. These people who go regularly to church at least uh, once a week or once a month. But they go regularly to church. Forty six believe that they have a personal responsibility to explain their beliefs to others. Okay, that's good. Eighty one percent believe that the Bible is accurate in all its teachings, and ninety four and that's good too. Ninety four percent believe that Jesus Christ was crucified and resurrected. Resurrected. That's good. 48% believe that if people are generally good or do enough good things for others, they will earn places in heaven. 48% of churchgoers that they surveyed, and they usually survey thousands. This is a professional group. They didn't just take a tiny, a tiny group, tiny sample. And another survey by the Barner Group in 1992, actually, they... They, they, they surveyed a whole bunch of people. One-third of them consider themselves to be born-again Christians. And they said 54% of all respondents, that includes the born-again Christians, stated that all people will go to heaven whether they have embraced Jesus Christ or not. That means a certain percentage of born-again Christians from this sampling believed that you don't actually need Jesus to get to heaven. Even though Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man can get to the Father but by me. And then furthermore, almost 25% of born-again Christians said that while Jesus was on earth, he sinned like other men. Another unbiblical, not biblical, but that's what they believed. But the, this idea that they, they back to the forty-eight percent, you know, if we do a good enough good things, you get to heaven. The salvation by works it continues to permeate 
uh, uh, certain areas of the Christian church. It always has been and always will because that's the religion of the world. I'm going to get to heaven by what I do, right? And, and it's not biblical. There's plenty of scriptural evidence to support the opposite, and we're going to be getting that today. But I did want to point out something Dwight L. Moody uh, pointed out. He wrote, uh, the, thief ha- the thief, referring to the thief on the cross, had nails through both hands so that he could not work. A nail through each foot so that he could not run errands for the Lord. He could not lift a hand or a foot toward his salvation, yet Christ offered him the gift of God, and he took it. Christ threw him a passport and took him to paradise. And all that he needed was believing Jesus. That's all he needed to do. The salvation by works. So so Paul says, you know, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to brag about, but not before God. For Verse 3, for what does the scripture say? It says this, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, we won't just assume that Paul was say, was correct. Let's look it up for ourselves. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He believed. So that's what Paul brings up. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. He believed God. Now that's not the same, that's not the same as believing in God. So many people say, I believe in God. First off, what does actually that mean to them? I wonder. But if, if you want to take it just by the phrase itself, I believe that God exists. I believe there is a God. Congratulations, so are the demons. Not the same as believing God. Do you believe God when he says... But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man come to the Father by, by me. Do you believe God? When he says, he that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We're going to talk more about believing in God as we go through this. And notice he believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now the credit, as you might expect, is an accounting term. Something Ethelin's very familiar with. Nobody, I'm sure almost nobody complains about a credit. It's the debits they complain about. But if it takes something that it belongs to someone 
from one account and credit it to another. But God is crediting our accounts, our completely bankrupt accounts, with His righteousness. Verse 4, Now the one who works, pay is not considered as a gift, but something owed, right? I know some bosses probably treat the paycheck as a gift, but no, you work for it. I had bosses that, that owed me. I had one boss... My first job, he was obviously not a very good businessman because on more than one occasion, he'd give me a paycheck and said, okay, don't cash that for a couple of days. He wasn't doing right by me because he owed me money. I worked for him. That wasn't a gift. I had another boss when I was my senior year in high school, that would occasionally short my paychecks and say, I'll, I'll, I'll catch up to you on that later, which he never did. And I was too naive to know that he was just conning me. But they owed me. And just like God would owe us, if there was some way for us to earn our salvation and we could work for it, God would gladly pay us what he owed, because God pays his debts, I would assume, right? Verse 5, But to the one who does not work, but believes on him, who declares the ungodly to be righteous, his faith is credited for righteousness. His faith. Now, let's be clear in what we mean by faith is trust, is reliance on. I found a nifty little acrostic to, to, to help you kind of encapsulate all the various characteristics, all the things that need to happen for you to really have faith in God. Starting with uh, the letter F, facts. You need to... In order to have faith in God, you need to know what you're believing. You need to receive information from God. You need to learn the reality, learn the law, learn. You need to learn, often learn the law that you are, you are a, a sinner. You, you're guilty before God. And 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 but God has provided this free gift that you can you can accept by 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 believing Jesus and what he says that, that he died for you and he rose from the dead and, and you can confess your sins to God knowing that God has forgiven you. You need that information first. If you don't get that information, you can't have faith in it. You can't believe in something you don't know anything about. And let's say you get the facts, and then the next one is A for agreement. You have to agree to the facts. And I've had some people who get the facts, but they don't agree to them. No, that's not true. I don't believe. That's not what I believe. The Bible's a nice book, but I don't really believe it. It's fictitious. They twisted it up back in the 300s. It's not the real, real scripture. All kind, I've heard all kinds of reasons. But they don't. it comes down to they hear the facts and they immediately don't agree. And they can't go from that point. They can't have faith. So let's say they, they hear the facts, they agree to them, 
And then I, internalization, they internalize that reality. They, they, they think about the, how does this affect me and my life, my behavior? What does this mean to me? And then that's where there's some real soul searching takes place. That's where you become an aware sinner. You're like, oh man, I could be standing before God someday and I, I may not be right with him. I could die tonight. I, I may not go to heaven. I may end up going to hell. There's this internalization that takes place. And I've had some people who will get the facts and they'll agree to them and they don't get past this point. Yeah, I know. I, I, I really need to get back to God. You know, I really need to. I've been thinking about it. But yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a sinner. I had one guy tell me, but what if you just don't care? He, as far as I know, he believed what I was saying. I was trying to share the gospel with him, but he didn't care. Wow, that's a horrible place to be. He's actually a friend of mine and it breaks my heart. So let's say, but you do, let's say you do internalize it. You hear the facts, you agree to them, you internalize it, and then the T for trust. Because you got to trust God. So God, is, I'm, I looks like I'm in a bad place. I need to trust you to get me out of it. And some people who who get the facts, they agree, they internalize, they think about where where how it's affecting them, but they just can't trust God. They spend their lives not trusting anybody. Their parents let them down. Their siblings let them down. They, they fell in love and, and their significant other let them down. Lied to them, cheated on them, all that stuff. And, and stole from them. And they can't trust anybody, including God. They, 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 th they automatically assign all their other relationships to, to their relationship with God. Which isn't fair. Because God's always been faithful. But they just, they can't trust anybody. They can't trust God. So they, they can't have faith. And the final one is hope. That hope in the Bible is stronger than, than, than how we use hope. Uh, like I say, you know, I hope you know traffic tomorrow morning will be too bad, right? It's, it's, it's a wish. We usually, but hope in the Bible is an expectation. We have this expectation in God, this hope in God, hope for that. That while we go through the trials in life, God is always going to be with us. God, whether we can see Him or not, whether we can see the hand of providence or not. Sometimes it's great. You can see the hand of providence clear as day, right? Oh, God is answering prayer. Oh, God's leading me here. And other times, like, God, I can't see anything. But we have that hope. God, God's taking care of us. And that hope that we are not of this world. We're, we're citizens of a better country. I love that term, better country. There's a better country. 
even better than Kentucky. And, and we're citizens of that country. And, and in this, this life that we're going through now, while it seems like so much, it's only such a, a, it's a molecule of water in the ocean of eternity. And there's so much more that we're going to experience and enjoy without having to deal with sin and the effects of sin. Praise God. Hope. And if you get to that point, you know, that's, that's a fa- all those facts and agreement, internalization, trust, hope, that's, fa- that's trusting God. That's faith. And that faith, if you get that faith in God and surrender to Him, God credits His righteousness to us. Then he quotes David in verse seven or verse six. Likewise, David also speaks of the blessing of the man God credits righteous to apart from works. And he quotes a psalm: "How joyful are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered! How joyful is the man the Lord will never charge." With sin. I love getting new converts in here. It's been too long. I'm hungry for more converts. I'm hungry to see people kneeling down there and, and the tears start flowing down and they start shaking from crying from the joy because they feel this release that they've never felt before. Feel this cleanness they've never felt before, and there's this joy, and they can't help but shout and praise God and give Him the glory. So David speaks rightfully. Why? Why is it so joyful? Because God offers complete forgiveness. There's no no need to have any doubts, no need to question. Every other religion in the world is, 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 is there, there's a question. Well, I hope I, I make it. I, I, I'm, I'm trying. I'm going I'm to do my best and, and just cross my fingers and hope I made it. But we don't have to have that with Christ. Praise God. Moving on to verse 9. Is this blessing only for the circumcised then? Remember this. Oh, he says, I, or is it also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. Why is he asking that? Well, in case, in case you might be confused, let me just uh, take an aside real quick and, and quickly explain that. Why is he... Talk about being circumcised or uncircumcised. Because the, the Jewish Christians had been following Mosaic law, laws of Moses, a lot of ceremony. There were some civil laws in there that we actually use in, 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 in the U.S. There's some uh, moral laws. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, that kind of stuff. There's ceremonial laws, which included circumcision. That was a sign that you belonged to God. And they, they believe that you need to follow this, including circumcision, in order to get to heaven, in order to be saved. Equivalent today could be 
baptism. And in fact, there are some Christians who believe that baptism is what saves you. Missy and I actually attended a church like that years ago. The pastor got up and he started talking about how baptism saves you. And I'm like, that doesn't sound right. And so I, I, I got privately with him one day and I asked him about it. And I said, I, from what I read in the Bible, it's faith in Jesus that saves us. That baptism is just an outward sign of what's already happened on the inside. And he said, you're absolutely right. I thought, okay, that was easy. And then a few weeks later, he got up again in the pulpit and he began to talk about how baptism saved us. Missy and I didn't stay there very long. The equivalent, you, baptism, you say, yeah, I go, I, if, if, I, if I go to church enough, I'll be saved. If I do enough good works, I'll be, do enough stuff in the community, I'll be saved. If I, if I keep moral standards, if I dress modestly and not, and not flashy, or if I, uh, if I stay away from drugs and alcohol, you know, then, then, then I'll, be, I'll be saved. And that's no, no. So while we might kind of smirk at, you know, these ancient Jewish Christians, you know, giving Paul a hard time about having to follow Mosaic law, we're dealing with it right now with just different versions of it. Verse 10, what way then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while he was circumcised, but uncircumcised. Abraham, God credited righteous Abraham for his faith before Abraham was circumcised. And so Paul was making that point, that he wasn't following Mosaic law, or what we would call Mosaic law. Verse 11, and he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. So it was a symbol it's like baptism is a symbol. Well, I, I, and, and people just had so much trouble getting that through their heads that baptism is just a symbol. There's a baptistry back here. Um, it's just a symbol of what's already supposed to happen. And I've had a couple people that I talked to. I tried to explain it to them. I tried to make it clear that it was just a symbol. And they acted like they understood, but... They, they knelt down and, and, and said the prayer and, and confessed their sins to God, did all the right things outwardly and, and, and scheduled to get baptized. And they got baptized and I didn't see them again. Because, and this is my theory, right? I, I don't know for sure. But my theory is they had it stuck in their heads. They wanted to believe that all they had to do was just do a few things and that satisfied God and then they could go live life like they wanted. You see, a lot of Christians, a lot of people call themselves Christians, really treat God like a pagan God. Pagans don't use the word faith or trust. They do a few ceremonies, whether it's uh, offering of money or, 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 or food, 
or or animal or even people sacrifices to uh, to satisfy their god uh, they follow you know certain rites but then they they, they do that thing I'm going to do this and 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 try to satisfy this god uh, 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 worst in hopes that you know I don't get sick or, or die or anything really bad happens to me but at best that maybe this God will be pleased with me and will bless me with health, wealth and prosperity but I, there's no relationship that's not how God wants it That's why we're seeing some of the problems we have now. There's a lot of pagan Christian churches in our country. So, uh, verse 11, continuing uh, the second sentence here. This was to make him the father of all who believe, but are not, not circumcised, so their righteousness may be credited to them also. Verse 12, and he became the father of the circumcised who are not only circumcised, but also follow in the footsteps of the faith. Footsteps of the faith, I like that. Reminds me of that one poem, Footsteps, where a man is with Jesus and, and, and sees two footsteps at first and then one set of footsteps disappear and just one footstep and and he, and he thought, why, why wasn't Jesus with me? And Jesus said, no, that's when I was carrying you. And I like someone's addition to that, uh, where Jesus said, and you see the, uh, the long uh, marks on the sand? That's when I dragged you kicking and screaming. The footsteps of the faith, what does that mean? The footsteps, of the, uh, footsteps are, your are your decisions and actions. As you live each day, what you decide to do, how, the thoughts that come in your head, and, and followed by, uh, after that is a decision, and after that is an action of some kind. Could be from the mundane as brushing your teeth, or significant, making sure you spend time with God's Word, or you share your faith with somebody, or you go help somebody. Uh, those are all footsteps. Of the faith are uh, your decisions and actions based on trusting God. So let me ask you today, are your decisions and actions based on your trust in God? And what are, and what are you trusting today? Are you trusting in the sign? Are you trusting in other things, I mentioned some, it could be some other things. You're trusting for your salvation, or you're trusting in the Savior. I hope you're trusting in Christ. We're only going to get halfway through today's sermon today. We're going to wrap things up. Let's stand. Well, that's all for today. We certainly hope it was a blessing to you. 
If you'd like to reach out to us, you can email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go to servantsheartchapel.org. Have a wonderful day.